Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We want to make sure we call out our sponsor today, Kelly Warner Law, to learn more about Kelly Warner Law's internet defamation and trade libel legal practice for entrepreneurs and professionals. Head on over to kellywarnerlaw.com forward slash infographic. That's K-E-L-L-Y-W-A-R-N-E-R. L-A-W dot com forward slash infographic. You can also click on the logo on ithinkbigger.com. Our guest today is Liz Bohannon. She has a very interesting company and concept, really. Uh, The model of the company is quite interesting. Uh, It's called Seiko Designs, and it's a fashion brand that's based in Uganda that Liz started after attending the University of Missouri. So we're going to hear her story, what inspired her to start this company in Uganda and the social mission that it is fulfilling as well. Welcome to the show today, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. As I mentioned, you were a student at the University of Missouri in uh, the mid-2000s. You graduated, and you went off to Uganda. Why did you do that? You know, when I was in university, I I studied journalism at at Mizzou, and I found myself becoming increasingly interested in and passionate about um, specifically the issues facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. I realized when I graduated that I had a lot of head knowledge about these things, but I didn't actually have any relationships or or on-the-ground experience. Um, So my trip to Uganda was really an effort to go be on the ground and to learn firsthand what women and girls living in extreme poverty were facing. Mm -hmm. So you really didn't go over there intending to start anything or uh, provide a solution. You really just wanted to find out what was going on firsthand and develop some relationships initially. Yeah, absolutely. My goal was to be on the ground, to have some relationships. You know, I had this moment where I realized, man, here's something I really care a lot about on an ideological level. But the reality is I don't have a single friend or relationship with a woman who is living in extreme poverty. There's a really big kind of gap between my head and my heart in Mm -hmm. that way. Um, so, yeah, so my intention was really just to go to learn, to be on the ground, to understand what the challenges are, what the solutions are. Um, I assumed that I would eventually potentially be using my journalism skills in some capacity to assist some existing organization that was working in that arena. But, no, I had no intention of, of starting anything. Right. So what did you find and how did that lead to Seiko Designs? Yeah. So I found a lot of things. There there are definitely a lot of challenges, as I anticipated. There's also a lot of great work being done, and there's a lot of work that, that's being done um, that isn't so great mm-hmm. that I realize is, is pretty inefficient or isn't really actually solving the problem that it's intending to solve. But I was really blessed. I was able to um, – I found an organization called Cornerstone Development, and they're a, a youth development organization based in Uganda. 
a pretty grassroots organization, but one of the main things that they do is they have a leadership academy. And this leadership academy, um, the, the intention of it is they recruit the, the top students in the country. They get probably a 1,000 applicants a year and choose 25 young men and 25 young women and bring them to this two-year leadership academy where not only is there a really excellent academic program, but they're also learning a lot about leadership and reconciliation. Uganda is a pretty ethnically and, and tribally um, mm-hmm. divisive country. Uh, so there's a lot of focus on uniting the, the youth with the idea of if these young students go on to become the doctors and the lawyers and the politicians that are running this, this country on mm-hmm. a high level, um, and they've spent you know, these two years together learning and living and working with one another, informing relationships with each other and getting rid of a lot of those barriers, this is a really incredible pathway toward unification on a national level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that. I loved that. So I started um, volunteering for this organization and spending as much time as possible with them. And as part of doing that is that I became a part of the, the larger conversations that were happening at this organization. And one of those conversations was surrounding the girls' school. And so at the time, the boys' school was about 20 years old, and the girls' school had just been started about five years prior. So they were still kind of getting their feet on the ground. And one of the really big issues that they were starting to notice and that they were facing was um, with the, the young women getting into university. What was basically happening is um, they were recruiting the best and the brightest, you know, top 5% of of young women in the country, but all of them are coming from backgrounds of extreme poverty. So Mm -hmm. most of them have lost one or both of their parents, either to AIDS or the war in northern Uganda. The majority of them are are living in areas of the country um, that are really struggling. And in Uganda, there's a nine-month gap in between high school and university. The whole school system's like that. The whole country's like that. And this gap is intended to allow students that test into college to be able to, to find time to find a job to make money to pay for university. Um, but what was happening with these young women is they had spent the last two years together. They were testing into college, so it wasn't an academic issue. They were testing into to university, and they were graduating from high school and going back to their villages for mm-hmm. this nine-month nine month gap. They were going back with all of this gusto and drive and excitement about you know the things that they had learned over the last two years and their dreams and vision for the future, and get back to their villages, and then it kind of just falls flat. And it falls flat, one, because they're looking for jobs, and um, their communities are living in extreme poverty. Sometimes there's up to an 80% unemployment rate. Right. Uh, there are young boys in the village that are also looking for jobs at the same time. And, and any economic opportunity that does exist is typically defaulting to, to the boys. Right. There is no social support for these young women. So a lot of times these are the first girls in their entire village to even graduate from high school, let alone to go on to college. And so that community and support that they've had over the last two years is all of a sudden gone. And lastly, there's just not a lot of support for them in general to to, to be going on to university. So a lot of young women are from areas of the country where the dowry system is still in place. Mm -hmm. So she comes home and there's a very real incentive that her father has for her to get married so he can receive her dowry. So just a myriad of different financial and, and social challenges that they were facing. Right. So, so you recognized all of this, and you decided to do something about it uh, to provide some sort of opportunity during this nine-month period so these women could go to university. But you started with a chicken farm, right? It's true. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess most 
most very truly, I started, if, if you go back to the very the very beginning, it started more as a as sponsorship program. So my thought was like, hey, we'll match up women in the U.S. with women in Uganda based on, you know, their career interests and coming from the background that I had. And I had worked for kind of nonprofits and aid organizations my my whole way through college. Um, and so that was my first idea. I was like, oh, duh, this is what we'll do. Um, and I was really challenged by some of my friends in Uganda who said, you know, we don't know if that's the best solution. It's only answering one of the problems. Yeah, we're, we're getting money, but at the end of the day, what are those women going to do for those nine months? What skills are they going to be learning? How are they going to kind of continue to perpetuate what we've been doing with them over the last two years if they're just going back to their village and they have nothing to do? Mm-hmm. And then lo- from a long-term perspective, how is that helping Uganda long-term? The economy... Right. Um, you know, building industry, job growth, all of these things that I was not, you know, that totally rocked my world that I would have to ask Mm -hmm. all of those questions in addition to like, oh, how do we get these young women in school? So that's when I went back to the drawing table and kind of started thinking about a more market-based solution, something that we could do where we could teach the girls a skill where they could earn money for themselves. Um, and chicken farm is what I landed on. So my, my market research basically consisted of like, well, there's chickens everywhere here. People <laughs> seem to like them. Uh, we, we, yeah, let's, let's raise some chickens. Um, so that failed, failed pretty fast mm-hmm. and went back to the drawing table again. And, uh, I had a friend from back home that actually was like, what about those funky, strappy sandals that you made when we were in college? And I did, I had made a pair of of sandals. My, my goal was to make a pair of flip-flops that don't flop. Yeah. Um, so I took a pair of rubber flip-flops and kind of tore them up and put some, some funky ribbon in them and made these kind of fun, funky sandals. Of course, I didn't think anything about it at the time. I was a, remember a journalism major, had no interest in <laughs> starting a business. Yeah. Design. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when she mentioned those, I was like, yeah, you know, well, so far, all of my ideas have failed. So, yeah, let's try sandals. Um, and then that kind of launched me into the process of figuring out, all right, how does one make footwear in the middle of East Africa? Identifying suppliers, coming up with prototypes, and eventually got, got through that. It was, it was a pretty rough season of kind of trying to, to puzzle all of those things together and came up with something that was relatively close to... Um, what I had envisioned, and I, I went to the school and basically said, okay, who are who are three young women that you really believe will, will do really well in university, that will really excel, but based off of their family backgrounds and, and where they're coming from, will probably have the hardest time actually getting into university. And the school came back, and they had selected three young women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca, and I sat down with those women, taught them how to make these sandals, and basically said, okay, ladies, if you make these sandals for the next nine months, I promise that you'll go to university in the fall. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and we made sandals together for the next several months until I had a couple suitcases full of them that I could take back to the U.S. And uh, then I came back and launched the brand here by, um, by selling these sandals out of the back of my car. Wow. So that's how Seiko Designs was born. And since then, you have uh, helped how many girls go to university selling these as part of this venture? Yes. So our last last year's class represented, we had uh, 47 women who have gone through our university-bound program and graduated from Seiko and continued on to university. And what are these sandals made from? 
So the base is made from uh, leather and rubber. So the outsole is made from rubber, and then it's got like a foam midsole, and that's just for comfort. It'll really start to form to your foot. And then the actual sole is made from genuine leather. Mm-hmm. And then it has five anchor points on the base of the sandal. And then you have textile and leather and lace and all kinds of different materials for straps that you can buy separately. So typically a customer is buying one pair of base and two or three pairs of straps in their first purchase. So she can mix and match and change the straps out. And mm-hmm. then you can also tie the straps differently. So if you know you want to go for a really funky, crisscrossy look, you can do that kind of more like a gladiator style to more <laughs> of a classic looking flip-flop and kind of everything in between. Right. And you've graduated from these sandals to other lines as well. You have handbags, for example, and uh, uh, some other products. Are they all, well, you started out selling these out of the back of your car, as you mentioned, and you can buy them. (laughs) You can buy them online now, too, just as your product line has expanded. So is your distribution channel. You can buy them online, correct? And at retail stores? Yes, correct. Okay, so uh, where, if somebody wanted to get a pair, they're listening and maybe they're taken by the story and they want to help contribute, Do um, uh, where would they go? Would the best bet be to go online or are there enough retail stores? Yeah, around? so the easiest thing, we, we ship um, all over the world online. We do about half of our half of our sales online. So e-commerce is, is a big platform for us. Um, so you can go to Seiko Designs, that's S-S-E-K-O, designs.com and purchase directly on there. And then we also have a Find a Retailer page. So at the bottom of our website, you can go to Find a Retailer and you can put in your zip code and it'll populate with all of the retail stores in your area that carry the product okay. as well. Are all of these handmade uh, or are they? do you have, have you introduced sh- uh, machines at this point? Um, so we they're still considered handmade because of, of the process, but we definitely do have some machines that assist in the production process, like for instance, we have a, a cutting die machine or a clipper press, which is basically like a, if you imagine a giant cookie cutter. So instead of uh, hand cutting out the actual shape of the sole, as mm-hmm. you can imagine with, with sizing and whatnot, consistency is very, very important. Yes. Um, so we'll make like a metal die that will lay on top of, of the leather, and then there's a, a hand-operated clipper press that basically uses pressure to, to press that guy into the leather so it's mm-hmm. cut out a perfectly, you know, shaped piece of sandal. So we, we definitely have introduced machines into the process, um, which is why we've taken really incredible kind of leaps and bounds just as far as our consistency and quality goes. But the process itself is still um, is still definitely considered handmade. If you okay. if you come hang out with us in Uganda you can you can watch your sandal being made. All right. And you, these are all from products in Africa, correct? Correct. Yeah. So our so the ribbon sandals, the bases, the straps, we have hand-beaded um, accents and accessories and different things that go onto the sandals. Um, we also have a new line of sandals called our T-strap sandal, which is a, a leather sandal that has a stationary leather upper that has interchangeable accent pieces. All of that is handmade at our workshop in Uganda. Um, and then over the last about 18 months, we've really expanded our product line now that we've kind of built our distribution and brand and, and have said, okay, now what, who are other groups that are working in East Africa that we think could make really incredible, beautiful products that maybe just don't have access to a Western market? So we've started traveling around the region um, and working with different partners in Kenya and Ethiopia as well to create a line of handbags and accessories and most recently we just 
this past fall launched a line of closed-toed shoes. Um, so ballet flats and loafers mm-hmm. and little ankle booties and all kinds of fun stuff. Okay. But everything in the Seiko line is made in East Africa from locally sourced materials there. Okay, so lots of expansion. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk with Liz, uh, who is the founder of SeikoDesigns.com, and talk with her about her experience on Shark Tank. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. A lot of people who listen to this show are small business owners and entrepreneurs, and legal representation is critical, and it's critical to have it before you need it. But if someone defames you, online or off, find a defamation lawyer as soon as possible. Not doing so could inadvertently ruin an otherwise solid claim. Kelly Warner Law caters to people like you, entrepreneurs. One of the top internet law practices in the country, the attorneys at Kelly Warner have mastered the art of online reputation maintenance. Since opening their doors, Kelly Warner has helped more than a thousand businesses and professionals with all manner of trade libel and business defamation situations. More than just a client advocate, Kelly Warner's website is a resource for internet defamation news, tips, case studies, and statutes, both domestic and international. To read up on the legalities of online defamation law, head to kellywarnerlaw.com, a boutique law firm that delivers big firm results and better for a fraction of the price. Kelly Warner works with clients across North America, Europe, Australia, Canada, and Asia. To learn more about Kelly Warner's internet, defamation, and trade libel legal practice for entrepreneurs and professionals, head on over to kellywarnerlaw.com forward slash infographic. That's K-E-L-L-Y-W-A-R-N-E-R-L-A-W dot com forward slash infographic. You can also click on the logo on the ithinkbigger.com website. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here today with Liz Bohannon with Seiko Design. She founded that company. Uh, It's a fashion brand that's based in Uganda. They've expanded throughout East Africa with handbags, uh, uh, close-toed shoes, and uh, some other lines right now. But what you did, what, maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, you went on Shark Tank, didn't you? We did. The The episode actually filmed this past fall, and it aired this February. All right. And you ended up not getting funded. Were you disappointed at that? You know, disappointed, sure. You know, I'm a, an eternal optimist, and so I, I have a tendency to conjure up best, best case scenarios, but the reality is I think we had a very realistic perspective going into the Shark Tank. We by no means were planning our funding around getting a shark investment and realized that there were going to be some pretty big challenges, even Mm -hmm. just from an ideological level, to find an investor that Mm -hmm. we really felt would be a good match for us and and, and would think the same of us. So we were pretty realistic going into it, but it was an incredible opportunity that we wanted to take 
So we were not devastated. Well, and as it turns out, the publicity that you got led to a tremendous increase in awareness and sales, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was the, the single biggest awareness event that we've had in the history of our company. And there are not a lot of ways that you can get in front of 10, 12 million people <laughs> and tell your story and showcase your product. And Shark Tank is definitely one of those ways. So regardless mm -hmm. of, of how it ended up from a financial perspective um, from an investment standpoint. It was a, an incredible opportunity for us. Now, you mentioned that you knew there were going to be challenges going into your your pitch, your presentation, some of them ideological. I've seen, you know, the sharks invest in some what I would consider very questionable high-risk ventures, <laughs> and yet this one they, they turned down. What what was it that was just the, the point, you know, the, the stumbling block, I guess? Yeah, you know, there are definitely a couple of things, but for sure the biggest thing was um, we, as a for-profit company sit in, in this interesting space, we refer to ourselves as a social enterprise, mm -hmm. meaning we're trying to solve a problem that's been left to the nonprofit sector, but we're trying to do that with a for-profit, sustainable, scalable business. Right. You're seeing more and more of that, especially among younger entrepreneurs, actually. It's, yeah, so, absolutely. Uh -huh. It's definitely, it's, it's a really fun space to be in um, because it's growing and there is, um, a, and it continues to grow into being steam. But the reality is that it's still very much so kind of a, a sub-community. Mm-hmm who gets it, who understands it, who's kind of in that world. And so we knew that there was going to be a definite challenge presenting this idea and concept to the Sharks. A big part of it um, was, you know, they kind of represent what we would refer to as, as kind of the, the old model of capitalism plus philanthropy, where the idea is if you're interested even in helping people, which obviously not all capitalists are, but a lot are, Mm -hmm. um, then, the, then the model that you use is, okay, I'm going to go out into the marketplace and I'm going to use my skills to make as much money as possible, as fast as possible. And then if there's a cause or something that I care about, I can donate money right. to a nonprofit mm -hmm. that, that's solving that problem. And that model of capitalism plus philanthropy is really, is, is really is quite standard. And, and that was what we knew going into the tank was probably going to be the mindset. Whereas what we're saying is actually what if you don't make quite as much money as fast as possible because you're trying to build out a model that's answering to, to two different constituencies, which is, one, the financial side of how are you going to make money off of this, but two, the social impact side, which is how are you actually affecting the world, the community that you're working in, that you're, that you're trying to work with. Um, and, and that's been the approach that we've really taken, which mm -hmm. is we want to build something for the long haul, and we don't want to donate money. We don't want, we want to do the work that we um, feel like has traditionally kind of been left to the nonprofit sector. We want to do that by building a really sustainable, mm -hmm. scalable company. Yeah. And that concept was a little bit difficult sure. to convey. Yeah. Um, and, and the feedback that we continued to get from the Sharks was, you know, if you really want to help people, go get rich. Go do something where you can get rich really quick. And then you'll have tons of money that you can donate to whoever you want. Exactly. Um, and whereas that might be fine for some people, that's definitely not our mission or our vision or what we're excited about building. 
And so, unfortunately, there there is not an ideological fit there. It, yes. And when you said that you wanted to go do the work, what you really want to do is you want to teach these women how to do the work so that not only are they making the money they need to go to university, but they've learned a skill that they can then teach others. And it does become the sustainable enterprise uh, that impacts East Africa at every level. And and so how much of the profits or, or is it the out of the profits? How much of this money goes to the girls? How is that? How is the money divvied up? So it's actually not um, because we're not a philanthropic, quote unquote, or give back brand. All of our impact is just built into our operating costs. So instead of saying, hey, let's make money and then give a portion of that money back towards different programs, how we've really structured it is saying, okay, here are the things that we want to do. Here's the kind of services that we want to be able to provide. Here's our social impact program. Here's the scholarship program that we want to do. And we really just build that into the cost of doing business, into our cost of goods. Mm -hmm. So basically how the model works with our university-bound women is 50% of their salaries that they're earning every month, like you would if you were working at a normal job, 50% of that goes into a savings account that they're actually not allowed to access until they go on to university. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do that largely to protect them from a lot of the pressure that they get from, from their families actually earning money to, to give that away back to their families. Right. Um, so, so we require them to save 50%. Most of the women are saving closer to eight, uh, 70 or 80% a month. And at the end of their nine months with SACO, we'll match whatever is in that savings account with a 100% scholarship towards university. Um, so that's how it works. The, the majority of the money that they're, uh, that they're putting towards university is coming from their savings account. So it's their salary that they've earned plus their scholarship that SACO has given them. But even that scholarship is just built it built into our cost of business. Mm -hmm. Now, there are ways uh, for others to get involved in this. For example, our listeners today, if they're moved by this story and they want to get involved, you've got various ways for them to do that. Uh, I know there's quite a few. We don't have a lot of time. So if you could maybe give us a couple and then direct us to the website so that they can see the other ways to get involved, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, the the easiest and best and most fun way to get involved is to head over to Sacred Designs and Pick something out. Um, we we are customers who wear our products and share our products with their friends and families and use that as a way to tell the sacred story. That's the reason that we get to do what we do. That's how we've grown and that's how we've been able to provide even more opportunity to women in East Africa. So that is it's hugely important. You can follow us on um, a variety of different social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest where we're constantly updating our customers with, with new products and um, stories out of East Africa of our, of our impact there. And we've got um, lots of different opportunities, everything from jobs to internships to we're launching a new program that's specifically focusing kind of on college campuses and with young women who are recently out of college mm-hmm. um, that we'd love to talk to you about. So you can head over to the website. That's Seiko Designs, and that's S-S. E-K-O designs.com If you just Google Ugandan sandals, you'll also definitely find us that way. 
Um, and you can learn all about those those opportunities. Okay, so great having you on the show today, Liz. Uh, much continued success, and thank you for all the good work that you do. Again, if you're interested in purchasing a product, or if you'd like to find out how to get involved or to connect on social media so you can keep up with what's going on, you can go to SecoDesigns.com, S-S-E-K-O designs.com and check all of that out. Thanks again, Liz. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger, or go on out to our website at ithinkbigger.com and check out the resources there. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.